Welcome to what is the launch of a brand new series called Tables Turned. Yes, another podcast to add to the hundreds of thousands out there, but I think this one is a little bit special. I admire the people who provide others with a platform, and it's never been more important to be able to do so. And asking the right questions is at a premium. In a time when there's so much out there with podcasts, 24-hour TV, social media, streaming, gaming, it's all calling for our attention. They are the ones who make us care, bring us closer to the people whose stories need telling. This is my why. My name's Dan McLean, and in this series I'll be talking to people who I've got to know and admire to find out how they do it. What are the secrets to opening up those small windows into a life for a moment? Welcome to episode three. This week I sit down with one of the most energetic people I've met. She's a motorsport presenter, host of two podcasts, corporate event host, singer and yoga teacher who's produced not one but two fitness DVDs. Alexandra Legui is a doer, someone who takes an idea and runs with it. She's showed by recording and launching a podcast called Mindset Unfiltered between our chat and this release. It's well worth a listen to. She's probably best known as the face and pitlane reporter of Eurosports and Fox Sports live coverage of the FIA WTCR World Touring Car Cup, a competition that's seen her visit many countries, including Macau this weekend just gone. She's worked in most motorsports, including Formula One, and has determination in spades, as she's shown by completing a wing walk for charity and taking part in a six-day endurance rally across the Sahara Desert in Morocco. From her beginnings as an up-and-coming horse rider to an aspiring actor and singer, and becoming a regular face on TV, it's been a roller coaster journey, which means she has so much experience to tap into and she doesn't disappoint. There's so much to learn and tips to pick up, so let's get straight into it, and I'll see you on the other side. I want to start at the start. Okay. TV presenting and interviewing was not kind of top of your list when you were growing up, was it? No, it wasn't. Because I didn't even know it existed. I think it might, I think I maybe would have wanted to had I sort of realised that that's what it was, you know. Um, but no, I wanted to be a performer. That was Any like type of main... performer or? Um, well, certainly when I was a child, I just wanted to be in Cats. I just wanted to be on the West End. Still going. Yeah, there's still a chance. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to be a performer. And at, but at the time I was a horse rider um, and actually quite a good horse rider. And my mum, you know, really pushed me in a sort of typical, you know, pushy mum in horse riding land, I suppose. And whether I rebelled against that or not, I don't know. Because in hindsight, had I continued in the horse riding world, I may have actually done quite well. <laughs> You could have been Burley. Yeah, it certainly would have been more likely to have been at Burley than I would have done on the West End, you know, than I did my West End route. No, that's true. Yeah, it wasn't until I went to theatre school land. And even then, actually, I didn't even think about the presenting route. Had you already been fascinated with just kind of talking to people and would you just want to kind of perform in front of people and just be in front of the camera or on the stage? I... Clearly just liked the sound of my own voice, I think. Because, yeah, I did. I liked, um, I do remember creating a radio show, you know, in my bedroom when I was younger. So I obviously quite liked that. I definitely liked interviewing people. And I was always someone not realising that I was interviewing them, but in a, in a conversation. And that's continued till now in a, in a social setting. I'm always asking questions. I always want to know more about somebody 
what their background is, why they know, why they want to know things or why, what they think and why they think them. So that's just something that's always, I've always been very, very inquisitive. And I think it is more that. So I love telling a story in presenting land, which is possibly why I like it in whatever genre it is, you know? Because it's more about that. It's more about the characters and the stories. You always have a good memory as well. Because if you want to be an actor, yeah, remembering lines, remembering things about people, and that that is funny because um, some of my friends who who went down the media route and didn't do the acting route can struggle with that side of things for sure. And I um, like this year is a good example. I've been doing a job for Barrett Jackson and Bentley, and it's all been very heavily scripted and very corporate. So you've just got to obviously say the right things and I would be handed a sort of an A4 page worth of script you've got to have that down in your brain and and do it like it's your words by tomorrow I think had I not come from the acting land and had heaps of techniques of how to learn scripts and heaps of practice of learning then maybe I would find that a lot more daunting. How do you learn something like that because most people when they read a script sounds like they're reading a script. Yeah so First of all, I write it out like four or five times. The whole thing will just handwrite it out. Computer doesn't do anything for me. I have to handwrite it out so that then I can visually see it. So even when I'm thinking, even if there's a bit that I haven't got down, then I will be able to picture it and so be able to see the words and that sort of picture memory. And then also I tend to use pictures quite a lot. So if I'm really struggling with a a chunk of paragraph or something then I will do a few drawings and that will also be a trigger and if worst case worst comes to worst I'll almost mentally create some sort of dance or action to the words that then I've hopefully I don't do when I'm (laughs) walking around (laughs) presenting who knows I should probably check um but yeah I'll do stuff like that and that will really help because that's really useful because my memory is terrible but I've never had that training in the techniques no yeah, that, so that I hadn't actually ever thought about that, but that must be where it's from. Because sometimes it's quite hard. You can tell when you're listening to someone, interviewing someone, whether someone's got, if you listen to James O'Brien, like I was doing on the way here, you can tell that he's almost got a microscopic kind of focus yeah. on exactly what's being said. He could bring something up from 10 minutes ago in that conversation yes. that's not even been scripted. So he's listening so much. Yeah that he probably doesn't even really need to look at his questions because he knows them all. And But that's one of the most important things as an interviewer. And that drives me crazy that I'll listen to an interview and be like, how on earth did you get to that question? That is clearly, you've got your list of 10 questions and that's all you're going to ask them because that doesn't, that, you were not listening. You're, that doesn't relate to the question before. And that immediately makes the person that you're interviewing also feel a little bit like, how, why, why would you ask me that? And that's almost always when you can start feeling this a little bit of a jilted flow. Yeah, because some people, you know, they, they want to get certain things out of it. Yeah. So it's like, I need to go from this question to this question to this question to this question. Yeah. Which I have to admit, when you start... You kind of think, I've got to list yep. out all these different questions and I've got to go through them and I'm not really listening because I'm already thinking about what the next yeah. question is going to be. Oh, yes. It's just remembering, even if you've got your list of questions, and also steering steering the person towards so that they almost end up perfectly delivering it for you. <laughs> That's the ideal world. <laughs> yeah. <isn't it? laughs> but 
how do you go from, you know, that acting side, wanting to be an actor to getting the opportunity to actually kind of be in front of a TV instead? Well, not in front of a TV, on a TV. As a presenter, yeah. going from, how do I pers- How did I personally or yeah, how does one? Because they used to said that wasn't really on your mind at no, all. No, not at all. It's quite random. I had, I was pushing, so probably for about far, four or five years after I left theatre school, I was trying really hard to make a living from acting and from singing. So with bands, as a, or as a singer-songwriter and in the acting world, and it's virtually impossible to make a living from either of them. So I spent more often than not, I spent more time flyering and doing, I was a Lego brick at Legoland, for an example, you know, for example, and so I did everything that I possibly could do. And then I went for lunch with my acting agent, a man called Kenneth Earl, and he, he was your atypical agent and was very much like, right, darling, you're just going to have to start saying yes to everything. So no matter what comes in, doesn't matter what it is, you're just going to have to start saying, be the yes girl. I was like, all right, Kenny. So he finished this lunch and no word of a lie. I remember walking because I wasn't living in London at the time. I was at my folks. I had not been out of that meeting for half an hour and I got a phone call and it was from a woman called Liz Fuller who owns the Miss Great Britain franchise and she'd asked me two or three years running leading up to that year um, if I would enter the competition as a beauty pageant girl and I never I'm a terrible girl like I was always like no it doesn't interest me not interested blah 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 so she rung she said hi darling it's Liz um Liz Fuller la 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 I was like no don't even ask I'm just no I'm still not gonna do it and she was like no I'm not asking you to be a girl Uh, I wondered if you were free this evening and I was like yeah she said okay um because you present don't you I was like yeah (laughs) thinking (laughs) Kenny you bastards um yeah I am Okay, great. Um, So could you get to Maya nightclub five o'clock to have a dress fitting? Because we need you to present the finals of Miss Great Britain tonight. I was like, okay. Oh my God. So put the phone down to her and was like, oh shit, now I'm in trouble. Do you have any idea like how, what you were going to do, how you were going to do it? Nothing. Nothing. Like no clue. I didn't know how the pageants worked. I didn't like no clue whatsoever. But I quite enjoy the, I enjoy pressure of anything. So I was like, okay, this could be fun. So I went to um, my nightclub for my five o'clock and it was like covered in women, covered in dresses, covered in chaos, you know, beauty, this, that and the other. And um, was whisked away, chucked into this ridiculous ball gown and handed a script of the running order of the night but but no actual script. It was like a rough, you know, let's assume that you've done loads of presenting and you should know what you're doing. So here you are, Alex. This is <laughs> roughly what it'll be like, right. basically. You, fill in the you do the rest. Yeah. You know what it's like, darling. <laughs> okay. And then luckily there was a male presenter as well, a guy called Dell, who had done quite a lot on Channel 5 and, and still is, I think. And he, he was like, oh, you'll be fine. I've done a couple and it's piece of piss. So I winged it. I don't know if I was any good or not, actually. Do you remember any bits of that night? Very, very vague bits of it. But yeah, I don't remember it as a whole. I wasn't wasn't nervous, but I, yeah, I think it all just went like a whoosh, 
just you didn't have any of those moments where your brain just suddenly goes no no and weirdly enough I remember finishing it and being and because it was all filmed for Latino TV which was is I don't know if it still exists the channel on Sky and I just was like god I much prefer this to acting this I feel much more at home so by the end of the night, we then all sort of had a few drinks, the crew, and and I met one of the judges was a woman called Janet Ginnings. And, and she then, we've got this that you could do, and can you do this, and can you do that? And You must have made a good impression then. I guess so. <laughs> God knows. Like, <laughs> well, they were yeah. probably quite thankful in the fact that they probably weren't expecting amazing for someone they've just brought in last minute. No, maybe. Well. Yeah. So, you Who know, knows? if you, you exceeded that expectation, yeah. it's like, okay, if she can do it off this much notice yeah what she could do is she'd actually give us some time next that's time. true and i was i put don't imagine i was paid anything either so i was probably like really enthusiastic for someone <laughs> who wasn't being paid and was you know but yeah i absolutely loved it and then was like right there we are i'm just going to rewrite my future because i don't want to be an actress anymore i'm this is great were the things like queued up for you to then do or was it well, going to take a while? Well, a couple a of up? things came off the back of that. Um, just a couple of event, of event hosting for a couple of the other judges. And then um, I then got a random job presenting a late night casino channel. And again, I rocked up. That was on one of my acting sites. And I rocked up to this job, could lie through my teeth through the casting. And um, have you done auto cue? Yes. No, I didn't have a clue what that meant, but I, t- yeah, of course I have. Have you, have you done playback? Have you done, talk, oh, sorry, talkback? Yes. Not a clue what that meant and really didn't and then couldn't even work it out until the job. Have you, and there was a list of things. Have you done this, this, this? Yeah, of course. I'll wing it. It's fine. I'll be fine. So I got the job and they wanted me to start like two days later. I had to do my croupier's license and all heaps of training and learning about actually how to deal cards and stuff. That was probably much harder than the presenting job. But I remember the very first day that I was just about to go live. That's one of the only times I've ever been genuinely completely breaking it. (laughs) As I heard this gremlin in my ear, which I'd also never experienced as he's there going, all right, so Alex, you're going live in 10 nine and I just remember being like oh my god what's gonna happen <laughs> it's one of the things that's always completely freaked me out I don't think my mind could cope with listening and talking at the same yeah, time because I that- remember when Jake Humphrey when he took over in F1 and he came from children's tv straight into F1 and people were doubting him and he uploaded to the BBC Sports page here's what happens in my ear as I'm doing oh this. my god it's and endless it was just mind-blowing yeah how on earth do you cope with something like that? Or is it just getting used to it? Yeah, it is just getting used to it. It was definitely quite hard to begin with. I mean, there is there is a way. So I used to teach presenting at Pinewood Studios. So there are techniques of actually doing it. And I mean, it is literally down to practice. And I mean, you can do it at home, even if you don't have anything at all. Just get used to having something in your ear, you know, a proper earphone with crap in your ear like Just repeated mind numbing <laughs> <laughs> and try and then and try and speak at the same time it's just it is just practice but where did the love of motorsport come in all this period again that's a random thing when I was at theatre school 
I applied for a job in the local, I stupidly shot myself in the foot. Theatre school was really expensive and I didn't go until I was 18. And I had already done my A-levels and stuff. And I, I don't know why, I just thought I was trying to be independent. Told my parents that I wanted to pay for as much of the fees or my living as possible. Well, it turned out that's really expensive and really hard to do. So I had to work really hard around my studies. So I remember trying, I tried Pizza Express, I tried various restaurants, tried, and I was never earning enough money. So um, I applied for a job in the local paper, which was looking for an events organiser. And that sounded like fun and was quite well paid. I didn't, didn't say what it was for or anything. You know, it was just to contact Graham on blah blah number so I rung and he asked me for an interview uh, over to his place for an interview on the Monday so I went and sat beautiful house so I was like okay yeah this this looks like it'll be much better than Pizza Express um sat down and he was quite a character and said well basically we put on track days um so I pretended that I knew what he was talking about and um, and we just want someone to help us organise them, coordinate with all the drivers, coordinate with the tracks, help us with the safety briefing. And then when you're there, it's a case of just dealing with the people. And I was like, cool. All right. I, yeah, I can do that. He was like, so how soon can you start? And I was like, when do you want me? He was like, are you free this weekend? Yes, I am. OK, I'll pick you up on Friday. We're going to spa. That was the first weekend. And I was like, sounds good. No idea what he's talking about, but fine. No idea what spa <laughs> no is. No idea what spa is. Sounds very, very <laughs> luxurious. And so, yeah, he picked me up in his GT3 and we drove to spa. And over that weekend, I obviously met the most incredible people. Mark Weber was one of the instructors. Adrian Newey was one of the main, you know, I'd say one of the main RMA members. Anthony Reid. Like all of these people that I now know still... And obviously, you know, were really good, interesting characters and became very good contacts for me in the industry. Um, and in fact, it was Adrian Newey that took me around on the Sunday for a half hour beginner session in his Porsche. So by the end of this weekend, and obviously the evenings were great fun. By the end of the weekend, I was like, I've, I've been paid more than I got paid for a month and met all these wonderful people and absolutely loved it. So I didn't care about the motorsport. I found it very exciting, but it wasn't that. There was no interest while you were growing no, up in, in no, high sports. No, no. My uncle used to watch Formula One, and I so I did definitely used to watch it if it was on, and I found it quite intriguing. But no, not massively. It was something that kind of fell asleep to on a Sunday. <laughs> That's and, a bit hard done that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I still do it now. Um, and so, yeah, that my end of my first weekend, Spa. The first track I ever drove out was Spa. And then Graham was like, great, well, you you did a brilliant job. Um, are you free next weekend? I was like, yeah, cool. Where are we going? Nürburgring. Okay, where's that? In Germany. All right. Same, same. Yeah, same, same. So again, on the Sunday, I had a lesson with Sabine Schmitz around the Nürburgring. And now I look back, I was like... I was 19. I didn't have a clue. You know, I just didn't. And so by the, the queen end of, of Nuremberg circuit. Yeah. Yeah. And I was completely hooked by the end of the weekend. And there was apparently, I mean, I wouldn't say a good driver, but I, we know was listening and picking it up and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I was working with Graham for then, for the next few years off and on. Again, it was always only ever part-time stuff. So while I was trying to be a performer, 
I just would go and do that for money. And then when I then started presenting, it was Graham that said, you've got to align your two worlds because you now know so much about motorsport. There aren't any other women at that point. There was really only Susie Perry and Louise Goodman. You're like a sponge. You know so much more than most women do at your age. So you've got to try and align these two worlds. And then really not long after that at all, I hated that casino job I was doing. So I was constantly looking for new work, for new acting work and performing work. And a job came up on this acting site from McLaren looking for a presenter for the technology centre. So I rung Graham, was like, what do you reckon? Do you reckon I can do it? And he was like, you've got that in the bag. Like, if they're looking for a woman to do that, go and do it. So I went and got it. And then had like... About three or four weeks of really intense training. So I had to learn what every single car, era. This is where the good memory kicks in. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, that I was fully learning it as a, as a proper script. In one move, it was like, here is your encyclopedia of motorsport. And it was such a good... It's not a bad place to work no, either, is it? No, it's Strange incredible. place. Really peculiar. Like it was, and all of the Ron Dennis quirks that were there were utterly fascinating and great things to throw in, you know, on your tours. I like, um, the entire floor is tiled and I can't remember what it is, 20,000 square foot, must be, of tiles. And I can't remember how much it cost, but it was an awful lot. Ron came in and saw that the end tiles were only half tiles and he couldn't bear it. They had to be full tiles. So he had the entire place redone. But it cost them an absolute arm and a leg. But yeah, he couldn't cope with anything like that where it wasn't exact. So just had... Like, That's his engineering kind of mind kind of taking, yeah. taking over, isn't it? Yeah. he was always a perfectionist. Yeah. always very, very mechanical. Yeah, incredible. And that kicked you on to other opportunities Yeah, so well. while I was there, I was doing quite a lot. I would take people down to the gym and there was a guy called Simon. I can't remember what his real name, his full name was, but we called him Blue Steel. So Blue, Blue Steel would be down doing... Did you find out why he was called Blue Steel? He did that. He did that look. Uh, okay. The look. And I read a forum on the BBC website saying some dude was bitching saying that drivers aren't athletes. Um, what do they do? They just sit in a car, right? And at the time, Lewis uh, Jensen was doing all these crazy triathlons and all sorts, and he was in great shape. So I, and, and also I'd seen what they did in the gym, you know, and all their neck training and all that sort of stuff. So I, and I read the comments underneath from, there were about 60 comments and all these people were going, yeah, you know, ridiculous that they're called athletes and they get paid all this money. They don't do anything. They just see I could do it, blah, 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 blah. I was like, how interesting. Off the back of that, I then wrote a treatment called Inside Track, which was meant to be about looking into whether drivers are athletes or not and whether they, whether it depends which motorsport world they're in as well. So... It got picked up by a channel called the Active Channel on Sky. So they commissioned um, a team of their people to go off and we spent three months then. We did. We took Liam Duran from Rallycross, who's not an athlete. Sorry, Liam. <laughs> he certainly wasn't at the time anyway. <laughs> um, Andy Prio. So a driver from each of the different disciplines. And yeah, we just went and followed them for a day or a weekend just to see what they did or didn't do. And 
where does this kind of independent producer part come from? Because a lot of people have just seen that and gone, oh, that's not very nice. And just moved on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not many people are saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to make a TV write. show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that I loved it and it spurred on to then try and to, but yeah, then I decided that I was going to be a to TV producer. to produce your own opportunities as well? Because yeah. then you'd be able to host it. Yeah, and- I think so. And, and... I don't, I don't know whether it's across the board in the creative industry, but you have to make your own opportunities. Certainly, again, that's, that comes from a performer brain rather than a journalism brain. But I mean, obviously they also, you know, journalists also spend their time looking for opportunities. But yeah, perhaps from a performer side, and you know, I, I directed a few things by then acting wise as well. So yeah, I guess probably... Was it around this time that was, you'd say, your first proper interviewing or did, had that happened before? That was probably my first proper, because I definitely, during that show, I was also winging it a little bit and really learning on the job. For I remember a, your for first one, interviews. your first proper interview you did. Um, one of my first proper ones was with Mike Wilds. We went over to his house. Um, he had been, he was an RMA member and he um, was one of the... I don't know if he was a safety car driver for F1, but he was definitely to do with that side of things. Um, He was in a very, very big fire. Inspired by that, he then went on to do a lot of fire safety in motorsport. That's probably not an easy one to do. It was was really hard because, again, I knew nothing about it. And also it's how do you discuss something that's very personal and traumatic to someone? Yes, although I actually prefer those interviews even to this day and I think that's an acting thing quite like making people cry and stuff you know <laughs> good ways hopefully yeah but it is oh, nice so if, you, if there's a personal story and it's not just talking about work yeah it does make it a lot more interesting for you asking the questions and hopefully for the person listening yeah. as well would you say it went well you yeah said you were winging I it think or? I know I think so I mean the actual show is pretty naff really it's, but it is, I think, an interesting concept. And again, in my brain, I was like, right, that's motorsport done. I'm now going to do it on all the sports and find out and then compare Nowadays, could you do it on sports as well? Because it's exactly the oh, same Oh, my word, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not athletes either. But can you remember kind of when an interview hasn't gone so well? Um, it may not necessarily be the yeah. person, it could be a technical thing. I'd say probably my first few interviews with Ivan Muller, they were a bit hairy. So he's one of our touring car drivers. He can be really cold. And it's taken, like now I feel like we have quite a good rapport. And and I know that there's some sort of cheekiness between Ivan and I, where I know that I can push him to an extent and he'll, and he's, he, I know he likes me. So it's okay now. But certainly the first few interviews if he doesn't want to talk to you, then you're screwed. What do you and do in that nothing. circumstance? You just kind of go, okay, it's a losing battle, I'm going to walk away. Yeah, yeah. Rather than trying to flog it. And Yes. I mean, he, when I first started in touring car, in my second year, I think, Miss France had been bought in for French TV. She interviewed Ivan and she said to him, I mean, she did, she was a bit stupid in what she said, if she knew what Ivan was like. And she said something like, "That's that seemed to be a very stupid move." 
which I, you could get away with some drivers and, and I probably could get away with it with a van now because he would know that I was slightly tongue in cheek. Whereas I think she was perhaps, you know, a bit naive in saying that to someone who's obviously multi-world champion, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and he very, very, very on live telly completely cut her and said, what the hell do you know about motorsport? All you do is win beauty pageants. You know F all about motorsport. Completely like shot her down. And this poor girl just like didn't hide her utter panic and dread. And I think he held the gaze for as long as humanly possible to make it as awkward as humanly possible as well. So it was just, and it was on YouTube for a long time. I think, I think it might have even been taken down because it was so awful for her. <laughs> but I remember after she didn't last long. In fact, that may, she may have only done that round and then not come back. So I know that he can be really. You've never had brutal. anything that bad then? No, but also I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'd care either. I don't think I've ever really cared that much about any stuff so maybe even if I had I don't know if I'd necessarily so you don't dwell on something too much if no, it doesn't go if it doesn't go well you go never mind Done. just on to the next one yeah and that I remember um I think probably as well because most of the stuff I do is live and I remember one of my producers saying something that you have to remember is that if it's live telly it's done and viewers don't remember stuff. So it's done. You have to forget about it. Otherwise, you'll carry it on for the rest of the day. You'll keep berating yourself or the chimp it's brain a will be going. Thing, you know, we latch onto the negative and yeah. we forget all the positive that's happened. Yeah, exactly that. So don't, you have to. It's done. The viewer will not remember. And even in 20 seconds, the viewer's already moved on to whatever you've moved on to. And that's, that has always been really good advice. And so if there have ever been any moments where I've been like, God, I was rubbish this morning, which happens a lot, you know, like I do have that. But that's probably against your standards on the viewer's standards. Yeah, it'll be against me and, you know, even down to not having slept enough or not having prepped. I hate not being prepped. So not having done those things enough then I'll be like, you, Ligui, come on, sort it out. Go and do some homework or something. How, <laughs> what is your typical prep? Um, for all my touring car stuff or any of my live motorsport stuff, probably the night before or an hour or two before. It's definitely got shorter and shorter over the years. Before every weekend, actually, I'm, and I've got better at, you know, because it makes your questions better your, or your, even your end question, not how was that race? That's crap, really. You know, how was that for you? If I can avoid that sort of question, then I will. Now, I, I like to be armed with some stats and also fans, motorsport fans are real geeks. They really know everything. Everything that I don't know, they know. And throw in a few stats, then you win some brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> it helps you get more accepted as well by it the fans really does. if you show you've got an absolute passion and knowledge for it. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered the, kind of the bad side of it. What's one of your favourites that you've done? Um, Joanna Lumley. I interviewed or worked alongside her presenting the Sunseeker, the London Boat Show. I, I imagine she's lovely. Oh my God, she's everything that you expect her to be. Slightly bonkers. Completely bonkers, but in a brilliant, brilliant, very humble way. She was full of stories, but not at all self-indulgent, just full of genuine colour, very colourful woman. Um, yeah, just so feet on the ground. It's incredible. Because for that same job, 
I'd worked alongside Nicole Scherzinger, who was the polar opposite, Hugh Bonville, who was amazing, but Joanna Lumley was just, yeah, awe-inspiring. Do you kind of have an idea of, okay, this person's going to be great? Well, I thought Nicole would be more, I thought she'd be more confident and I thought she'd be, I thought she would be a massive diva, but I thought she'd be a very powerful, commanding OTT woman with it, but she wasn't. She was a bag of, she was a gibbering wreck. She was terrified and she had come with no prep whatsoever. That's probably why she was terrified. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just for someone that you'd expect and comes across on programmes. Maybe, maybe one of these people so that's confident. comfortable in their comfort zone. And yeah. Take them outside of that yeah. and suddenly fish out water. Well, given that the stage was not very big um, and the idea was that I was interviewing her, she wouldn't allow me to be on the stage at the same time as her. So I had to bring her onto stage awkwardly walk off stage and ask her questions from off stage. Oh, wow. But because it wasn't an actual stage, people just thought I was walking an oddly quite far distance away from her <laughs> to then walk back on stage once she... It was so weird. So, yeah, there was obviously... She probably a, didn't help herself with that no, one. No, not at all. That's just... Yeah, I can imagine that would be... That would probably be ranking one of your worst ones. Yeah, I would say that word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think if that happened every time, any, ever again, you'd just go, no, this is how it's happening? Yeah, I probably would have had, yeah. I, yeah, there's definitely... Because um, as some of you, as a host, you have to take the lead. Yeah. So if it's not working out, you've basically got to be, have the mind of the audience going, this is painful. Yeah, this is uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I probably would walk back on because at the end of the day, what's she going to do when I'm there in it but yeah that was again that was a bit earlier on I've my confidence has developed over the years and it's just learning techniques as well as it, it really is yeah which I'm still trying to learn yeah hence doing this kind of a series yeah. so I can learn yeah we can all keep learning that's for sure it's, yes I mean do you ever look at anyone else and think I you know pick up pieces from people you either know in real life if you work next to or yeah. just seen on tv or yeah definitely as you know, the same as you doing podcasts and stuff. I learn an awful lot from podcasts. Um, there's one by Elizabeth Day on called How to Fail, which I absolutely love her yeah, interview technique. She's very good. And I think I've learned from her and taken that into some of my presenting things as well. What kind of things would you take? Um, I think that something that she does really well is reassuring the person that she's interviewing she's very good at that and I don't have that I don't tend to I tend there's a fine line between complimenting someone and blowing smoke over the top yeah, yeah exactly right which can be a bit uncomfortable in its own right because then you're going okay this is a bit weird now. yeah yeah but I think even just a couple I've always been a bit like I teach a lot and I've always been terrible at giving positive feedback I tend to be a bit more of like right come on Let's get on with it. Next. Come on. Not a... Uh, well, that doesn't sound like a relaxing yoga class. <laughs> I, even in yoga, I have to actively like, Greg, well done, guys. And I'm thinking, come on, just do it a bit better. <laughs> get a bit lower. Come on. <laughs> so I do have to actively be a bit gentler, I think, with, with people. Did you ever, any, anyone, when you were doing your TV presenting, who's kind of mentored you a little bit or you've kind of latched on a bit to help guide you through? Camera guys have always been really good. Because they've seen everything. Yeah. They? So I've had a few cameramen who will just give me one or two hints and that's really helped. I learned an awful lot 
from teaching it as well at Pinewood because then I was kind of scraping all the way back to the basics and then going, oh yeah, oh yeah, I should probably stop doing that too. <laughs> I'm telling people not to. Are there certain things you would say if someone's interviewing or you know, I know it's two different skills as kind of interviewing and hosting something. Yeah. Are there a kind of base things that people Yes, would, definitely. Yes. Like smiling is a really important thing that people always forget to do. And the difference in how your voice sounds when you smile to when you don't. I went is through a spell of standing huge. up. Yes. Because then well. you automatically have a little bit of energy. You're not cramped up. Yeah. Voice is a little bit lighter. Imagining that the camera is one person, like your mum or your cousin or your auntie or your dog or your dad or whatever, sitting on a sofa. Because ultimately, that's almost always what it is. It's not the millions of people or whatever who are watching. It's not. It never no, is. you don't have millions of people no, sitting one room. on screen. No. no. So it is almost always one or two people sitting in a lounge. And they don't want the person to be rah, talking as if they're talking to millions of people. They just want them to be talking to them like they're two people sitting in a lounge, having a nice evening, probably had a long day at work and just want to watch a nice show. And that really helped me as well to sort of go, okay, yeah. So I imagine that I'm just talking to my mum. And then just like the basics of like people tend to walk a lot on the spot without realising, you know, the moving. It's really hard to stay still for anybody, no matter what. It's really hard. And also like watch yourself back even just doing it in your bedroom, watch yourself back. And what I'd realised is that I had a tendency, like energy has to go somewhere. So when people are nervous, they'll either bounce up and down on their toes or they'll walk yeah, side to side or walk in a circle and don't realise they're doing that. And if they then try and plant their feet and think rigid, what I had started doing was it was coming out of my elbows. <laughs> <laughs> So I was doing this. I was like, what am I doing? This weird arm flapping thing. And it wasn't until I started working at Pinewood Studios and the and the boss of the presenter course was like, it is because energy has to come out somewhere. And whether you're someone that flaps your wings, walks, talks too quickly, moves their head too much or whatever, it has to go somewhere. And so you have to channel it. And the best thing you can do is to use your hands. Do you think you would do more on the podcasting? You kind of alluded to it. That's yeah. What you're doing now is a I really kind enjoy of it. dipping your toe into it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic because I've never been comfortable in front of a camera. Yeah. I don't mind being behind a camera, but this is completely different. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think that there's so much scope. We're going to start uh, interviewing people. So all of ours have just been with the two of us. You did um, have one with a guest, didn't you? Yeah, although he actually wouldn't, he wasn't there in person. He answered questions via the art of email because he was too scared, I think, to be on the show. Um, we've, we are interviewing a dating guru this weekend. So that'll be quite interesting. So then we will then start going and speaking to different guests and just seeing how it evolves. And, and the, there's so many opportunities. I mean, yeah. I think there's something like 700,000 podcasters, which yeah. is a lot, but grand scheme of things, it's not. No, it's really not. And, and I think the stat is uh, the average podcast lasts seven episodes. Yeah. So my plan is to record more than seven episodes so that I yeah. can't. We're getting more inspired rather than less. Yeah, which is a good sign. Uh, yeah. And apparently 
when you look at like listenership, because they don't tend to do it in subscribers so much. When you look at like the stats breakdown, the stats are terrible. It's about actual listeners, isn't it? That's important. The stats you can actually get from the platforms are so bad. Yeah. I mean, you look at what you can get from a YouTube or something like that, you're light years behind at the moment. Yeah. And hopefully that will. The two the two areas that they'll definitely get better on is people be able to find podcasts, yeah. which is now starting to get better. Spotify is starting to put it into the yeah. main feeds. Yeah. Um, Apple will start getting better at it. Yeah. But before, unless someone had pointed it out or you stumbled across it, there was no other way of finding it. No. Um, and the, the data will be the other side because if you're trying to monetize it or grow your audience, yeah. you can't actually tell anything about it. No, it's really hard to and sell it. And it's all guesswork anyway. Yeah. So basically I could go and tell, you know, Nike or someone like that, that we've got millions of listeners and they'd never really know if I was telling the they truth could, or not. They could possibly work it out. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any kind of final tips? You've been through, you kind of, here's the basics. Have you got any other tips if someone kind of wants to produce, you know, wants to produce a great interview? What's that difference between doing a good one and a, and a great one? Listening is vital. That is the most important thing. Listening to what the other person is saying and leading on from what they're saying and being a Barocca version of you. So Barocca as in the elixir that relieves me of all hangovers. Being that you, but on, a, on your best day um, and do your prep. Fantastic. Thank you very much for letting me into your parents' house. Yes. And, Pleasure. Uh, Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks to Alex for her time and her parents for letting us record at their house. It was a fascinating and fun podcast to do, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. One of the key areas that keeps coming across from people I sit down with is the importance of listening. Knowing when to dig into the stories being presented to you and when to link in with where you want it to go next. It's not an easy skill, and one you learn through experience and feedback. I used to go into podcasts with a long list of questions, and it probably showed. Now I have three main questions and some interesting information about their career or stories to bring up. The rest is quite free and you never know quite what is going to happen next, which is half the fun. Make sure you sign up to Alex's podcast, Mindset and Filtered. Links, as always, will be in the show notes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what you took from it. Get in touch on Twitter at Daniel McLaren and Instagram at Daniel J. McLaren or Tables Turn Podcast. Or head to our anchor page and leave a voice message on there. Thanks for getting through to the end. And remember to subscribe or follow us so you don't miss any of the exciting ones coming up. And check the other podcasts in this series out as well if you haven't already. Thanks to the talented Tim Keefe for the logo design and to you for listening. Take care of yourself and I'll see you again soon.